You're listening to Strictly Business Podcast with Lindsay Williams. It's Friday, so it's time for the weekly wrap. And with me is independent financial analyst and market analyst, Liston Mainchies. Liston, I've just scribbled down a few things and I've written down Fed, Trump, property stocks, Brexit, retail stocks, Sappy, Into, Hammerson, MassMart. ShopRite, Rand. There is so much packed into these five days. It's been quite extraordinary this week. Well, indeed, and uh, not particularly good for many people's portfolios. And again, a lot of it, as, as, as you and I know, we've been saying, look at this situation. It can only get worse. And well, let's start with our, our friend Donald Trump. Uh, he sends a team to Shanghai to negotiate, yes. and he shanghaied them. Yes. <laughs> They're no sooner talking when he, he imposes tariffs. Now, that behavior, in my opinion, is not only erratic, but it borders on the insane. You're quite maybe right. He's out, maybe it's... he's out to make a point. Yeah. No. The behavior is reprehensible, but it does sort of lend itself to the theory that he is becoming more unhinged as he becomes uh, a little bit older and his ego isn't fed all the time and he's terribly, terribly insecure. So the Shanghai Surprise, which was a film actually with, I think, with Sean Penn and Madonna many, many years ago, but this was a Shanghai Surprise and it came from nowhere and it engendered a 600-point swing in the Dow Jones Industrial Average last night. Oh, absolutely. But then again, uh, uh, you know, you just have to have a look and say, where, where does that leave Mnuchin? I mean, he must be livid, to put it bluntly. I even saw a headline this morning which said, I knew about it, but Trump said, no, I mustn't tell them. So he got landed knowing he was going to get landed. <laughs> so I just can't believe any of that. Just move on to Jay Powell. Yeah. And then... Fed rhetoric is a very interesting thing to look at. But my point is, Powell ought to be able to stand up to the president and say, the economy is running well with good employment rates, no inflation in sight. There is absolutely no reason to drop interest rates. We will need that ammunition when things get tough. We've just given away 25 basis points. Next month or next time we meet, I'm not sure exactly when the next meeting is, um, Trump will lean on him again because he's been shown to be weak and he will give. Golly. I, and then if he doesn't, we'll have another problem. So I just say that I don't think that was a good opening gambit by Jay Powell. <laughs> that was that. Now, you, as you say, you know, talk about weak, you know, and, and we always deal with the, with the Brexit story. I know you're not keen mm. and all sorts of problems coming through there. But honestly, when I see the, the, the words as well, and it comes about that, that uh, Boris thinks he can change the minds of 28 other countries in the EU. Mm. And, you know, David and Goliath is one thing, but David against 28 Goliaths is a big problem. Yes, and he's a divisive character, just like Donald Trump is. He's, not, he's nothing like as awful as Donald Trump, but he does have certain characteristics that Eurocrats will not like. And unfortunately, he's not going to get his way. And Brexit will probably end up to be no-deal Brexit. And we saw that last night in a Welsh by-election where the Liberal Democrats won. And now Boris Johnson's majority in Parliament is only one seat, which is extraordinary. 
Well, yes, we saw that coming too. But the, <laughs> the, the, the second point about that is, you know, maybe he is forced to have a general election by mm. default. I mean, he only has to have one member of his party or two vote against him uh, in, in a motion of no confidence. They would have to be brave. But Lindsay, the really funny one headline for me this week was that the Tories are now pro-Brexit. <laughs> and if you remember, the whole beginning of this was that the, the, the population would definitely vote pre-Main, and that's why uh, Cameron went ahead and said, let's have the vote. Because everybody who supported him, according to the, the polls and whatever, were going to vote for Bremain. And life would go on and we wouldn't have this problem for the next however long. Then we had a calamity in spades. I mean, like how three years of negotiation by a person who was a Bremainer. And now you have a, a, a Brexiteer. My goodness me. You know, I challenge you to write that story uh, five years ago, you would have been labelled a loony. It's it's great for broadcasting. It's great for podcasting. It's great for <laughs> newspapers. It's great for commentators. It's really good fun. But on the other hand, it is really, really disappointing. And what is also disappointing, apart from the activities of politicians who are out of control, in my opinion, the activities of certain asset managers. Because if you have a look at the disaster that has been the, the JSE Securities Exchange. I mean, look at this thing. Where do we start? Do we start with, because you've brought in the, the Brexit theme? Do we start with Brace, with Hammerson, or with Into? Where do you want to start? No, let's deal, let's deal with them all. I mean, these are consequences of Brexit. Let's take the property side. Now, there's this major story, you know, going around that people are ordering online, and I know certain people do a terrific amount like that. Mm. I put it down, though, to a lot of discretionary stuff. I don't think too many people are sending their grocery orders in. I know you can do it and have been able to do it for quite some time. And particularly elderly folk were making use of, you know, parcel delivery instead of having to get in a car or an Uber to go to the shop to get the stuff. So I'm, I'm very pro that. Now, again, if you look at, at something like Into, uh, which I think is a better example than the others just, just by, you know, for now. And essentially, they have got the same bricks and mortar as they always had, but they borrowed to buy and build. And the problem is the bankers, and correctly so, I should think, say, you know, that the loan-to-value ratio must be right. Now, you are giving the hedge funds the most attractive opportunity in the world yeah. because once you get close to a covenant breach, they can short that knowing for certain that the, uh, the, the bankers will call the covenant, and that will halve the price. Into, there was an offer by a part of management, I honestly think it was just more than a year ago, at 42 rand. It's now 8 rand, and we're lucky to get 8, Gosh. because I think it went into the 7s just earlier this week. And then, you know, sort of collateral damage uh, to our friends Hammerson. Um, and it is true, the high street has been battling, and it has been battling in, uh, in America. Now, again, I happened to attend the Liberty Two Degrees meeting on Monday, and it was very interesting because we don't really have the same kind of problem here. And I think one of the reasons is that we have more shopping malls. 
And people are attracted to shopping malls, and uh, uh, the L2D would be quite proud of me to say uh, they come for the experience. I don't. So if you want to buy some luxury goods, you can go to Sandton City. There's a whole floor devoted to luxury goods. And you can have a wonderful experience looking, trying on, and maybe even getting around to buying something. So there's that experience, but they also have other entertainments. And, of course, they've got the restaurants. And, of course, in Santon City, they've got the offices, which, you know, are uh, rather under under-tenanted at the moment. What a sad existence but, you lead in Johannesburg, where you have to go to a shopping centre or a shopping mall, as you call it, and go and try on some clothes and have an overpriced burger, which is undercooked or badly cooked. It's a very, very sad um, situation that you've just described. It makes me rather depressed. Well, secondly, it is really the quality and size that win. So, again, bring it back to Into. They have quality malls and size of them. They, I think they said they have nine of the top 20 malls in the UK. So, you know, we're not talking about a business and, and bricks and mortar that are going to fall apart. We have a, a liquidity problem engendered by the price falling, whether that's right or not, um, and, of course, they did say we're going to have to sell something, and they did say, you know, that we, we have to have to talk to our funders. So it's no surprise, as I said, that the, the hedgies would be in there uh, selling everything that they can. But the point is, if they have to have a rights issue, and this, people have forgotten, but back in 2009, I think it was, uh, Into was also uh, under the whip, global financial crisis and all, mm-hmm. and they had to have a rights issue. Share was trading at 52 Rand. They had to have the rights issue at 39 Rand. And one of the reasons for that was South Africans holding those shares were only allowed to follow their rights with money they had externalized with the permission of the Reserve Bank. Now, I think it's a long way from there now. And I would be interested if they do have to have a rights issue, whether the South African contingent can uh, get money there without having to externalize it. And again, if you know, one of the largest holders of uh, Into is our friend's Coronation. At one stage, they had 19.9%, I believe, and I think they've sold some down. It's 17% at the moment. Oh, well, then they've sold a little more than I thought. Mm, Yeah. But but I say, so, and, and it comes back to the point I keep making, Lindsay. You know, whatever it is now, I don't say this is true in all markets and has been forever, but if you are in an entity which has a tailwind, you suddenly leap up. And people, I see it regularly in my, in my morning notes. The share beat estimates. doesn't say by how much. doesn't say that the estimates were lowered and they beat that. It's up 12%. This one produced uh, something above expectations, up 6%. And then you get the occasional one that is isn't, uh, overseas that's not producing good results, and it can get smacked 15%. Now, if you tell me that's a rational market with expertise and people sitting around, I say much more it is people with very short-term horizons but with plenty of money. And whether you call that hedge fund, whether you call that derivatives, whatever you call it, people are uh, accentuating the, the moves. And, but as I said, with disastrous consequences in, in the names of, of Hammerson and uh, into. into. We've done the Fed. 
That was interesting. Yeah. Uh, I think the Fed has, hasn't covered itself in glory because it probably was a little bit preemptive, too preemptive last year, and it's trying to correct the situation and may have been swayed a little bit by our friend Trump. We've spoken about him, astonishing 10% on 300 billion worth of Chinese goods last night just because he was annoyed. We've done the property stocks. What about the retail stocks in South Africa? Because there was a an almost psychopathic reaction of the market to two different stocks this week. One was a shop right. It came out with results and immediately shot up 15, 16%. And then later we had MassMart and the share price fell by 21, 22%. I mean, it's all over the place. What do you make of those two things? Well, they were both on the same day, which makes exactly. it even funny. And okay, you can always say that one of our other of them had preempted and the, the moves, moves before had been overdone. But it was surprising because the theme from both of them was this is a very challenging environment. Mm. And as for Africa, that's been a real problem to us. Same story, only ShopRite went uh, one further and said, but we detect a turnaround in the second half. Oh, yeah. And I'm sure they did. And they, they've certainly got, you know, uh, policies in place and new systems in place to improve. But, you know, you can't improve the average consumer. He's maxed out. He can do only what he can do. Now, let's understand, you know, there's two South Africans. There's the ultra-rich and then there's the rest. And, by the way, my opinion now is that the ultra-rich is a much smaller group but much richer there are the black diamonds coming through. And if you look at the ESCOM uh, salary bill, uh, you wonder where the extra, extra billion might be needed for the salaries. Uh, it's quite a, quite a worrying feature. And we will, we'll talk about ESCOM uh, a little bit later. But the bigger thing, I think, you know, coming through was undoubtedly the money going to ESCOM, causing panic in terms of both the RAND and future interest rates. And the financials have taken a knock. In fact, End of the month, the 31st, they hit a new low for the year. Now, you would have thought that's not possible. They're, they're good value. They've got high dividend yields in the banks. If you look at uh, Liberty, it just came out. And I haven't had a time to look at it, but it sounds incredible that their profits dub virtually doubled. And I'm saying I'm, I know they use embedded values and other fancy, fancy bits in there, but I just, for the life of me, cannot see – how you manage to double your profits in a year and, and talk about efficiencies. Let's talk about Eskom. Now, you've mentioned Eskom because I spoke to Peter Atab Montalto from Intellidex from London. Yeah. And every person I speak to about Eskom, they don't soft soap me, but they don't tell the truth. I don't think people quite realise how disastrous this is and what it's going to do to the country, not in the next month, not in the next six months, but over the next 10 years. It is a complete train crash. Well, uh, then hear me, because I'm a, a, a different voice. The corporation is enormous. It does a turnover of around about 180 billion rand a year. Yes. And that is not, not small potatoes. And if you look at the operational side, and you know that they've got operational problems, they still make a fancy profit. Then they do some enormous depreciation. And then they have this huge finance bill. Now, I've gone as far as to say the biggest problem is NERSA. Every time ESCOM has asked for an increase to be able to pay their debt down instead of having to borrow to pay it down, they have been blocked. 
And this has been for 15 years now. That's why ESCOM is in trouble. And I suggest they put a 20% increase on it. They've asked for 18 or I think 15 maybe uh, and 12 thereafter. Well, you, you can't negotiate 10 years worth of increases because you really don't know the price of coal and you don't know the value of the rand and you don't know. So what I'm saying is they, they, they really need, and I say the problem it, it is operational. They say they can fix some of that, but others of it will take time. And I spoke to somebody who's extremely knowledgeable and he said it will take at least three years. And it is because they need new equipment to make Madupi and Kusili work effectively. Hmm. They are hugely expensive, and the return on investment, return on capital there is just horrible. But given a, an increase of 20% on the, on the uh, electricity price now, and I would think that Tito Mbaweni can actually go to Nursa and say, listen, you are supposed to man manage the uh, electricity price in the national interest, but what you've done is you've killed ESCOM in the national interest, and we can't fix it. If you give them a 20% increase that they haven't even asked for, they will be able to start repaying debt. Imagine I come to you with that story. Lindsay, that's different to anybody else that I've heard. And it is a tragedy. It is, it is wrong. And mismanagement, we, we won't go into all of the, uh, the, the, the inquiry side of it. But you can, in any company, fix things if you can get a better price for your goods. Now, as I said, this must be one of the few corporations in South Africa that cannot set a price. It is set for them, and it's been too low for too many years. You've said that everyone's maxed out, so how can we stomach a 15 18 or 20% increase in electricity costs? And I'm not talking about people like yourself who has saved prudently over the years. I'm talking about the poorest of the poor, the people that have to pay, the municipalities that have to pay. They can't pay, and well, they won't pay. They've proved that they won't pay. There's so much debt. No, well, they're, they're, that, is your, that is your second problem, and it's been flagged. You know, it's actually the collection side of it. But also go further back, Lindsay, and you, you'll remember when we were producing gold at a rapid rate, at a huge rate, yes. the mines took 50% of ESCOM's electricity. I don't know how much they're taking now. I would be surprised if it's 10. So that means unless the industrial, which is also under the whip, and the uh, consumer uh, have moved up from their 50 maybe to 60 you now only need 70% of the power you were producing 20 years ago. So there's a planning function discord here. And surely, surely somebody can uh, sit down. I would, if I were at the university, I would give it to an MBA class and I would say, now go away and solve this problem. Mm -hmm. And I bet you would get 30 mighty, mighty clever answers. I would just say but go away. The real, question, <laughs> the real question is, you know, are the people making the decisions able to make them on the basis of the call that, that they're given. And I say the first one is they've got to increase the price and they're incapable of that by law. We've covered a lot of ground this afternoon. The RAND is currently 14.68 against the US dollar in around about, what is it, in around about five minutes time, listen, or is it later on that we're going to get the US jobs numbers? 
Uh, I'm not sure. You're, you're, you're the one who knows exactly when it comes out, but I'll put my, my screen on to bls.gov and just see what you comes. Just have a quick look while you're doing that, because there's other things yeah. to talk about as well, and that is the JSE and the volumes on the JSE and the relevance of the JSE Securities Exchange as a stock exchange. It is relevant, but it's not an incubator anymore. That's been a theme of the week, so it must be part of the weekly wrap. But also we have to talk about one share, which is interesting me strangely, and that is Sassel, which is 305 rand per share. Are you still Googling away there for the labor.gov site? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm getting to the site. It just may take a while. That's right. But no, let's, we spoke about Sassel uh, about three weeks ago, I think. Yes. And obviously their biggest new problem, which cannot be a surprise to anybody, yes. is the uh, uh, carbon tax. Now, they are amongst the worst emitters. And so, again, and so is ESCOM. Now, I'm assured by people who know more than I do that that actually can be sold, particularly in, in ESCOM, by uh, appropriate filters and, and the rest. So, I'm not too sure. I'm um, sorry, it just came back and it said the connection has timed out. Sorry, before you go on, payrolls rise 164,000 as labour force hits a new record. That's the breaking news. In the last five minutes, it's come out. So another 164,000 people have jobs outside of the agricultural economy of the United States of America, the world's biggest economy. 164,000 new people. Labour force hits a new record. Mr. Trump must be jumping through hoops. Well, again, I, I go back to Jay Powell. I'm saying you've got to drop rates to get 164 extra. I don't know where you're getting them from because, mm. honestly, that economy has absolutely full employment. Yes. There are always people moving between jobs and there are students coming on stream. Yeah, whatever. You know, there's, there's, there's always that. But I am also reading and hearing, you know, a number of companies are laying off staff, some of it because they've got more efficient They've moved into a technological manufacturing situation, and they say, well, actually, we only need 80% of what we had. So, you know, you get on the one side and you may lose on the other. But I'm just saying that number, whether it's 164 or 215 or whatever, um, does that really matter? And, and I'm saying also the 25-bit cut, does that really matter? The simple truth is that we have got trade wars which are making uh, everybody's decision-making incredibly difficult. Yes. That will also not be solved in six weeks. This is a multi-year a trend change. So uh, we, we should build that in. Just let's back to the data that's just come out from the U.S. Labor Department. Payroll growth rose in line with expectations in July, and the unemployment rate remained 3.7%, which is full employment, as you quite rightly say, Liston, amid a sharp jump in the size of the labor force to its highest level ever. The Labor Department reported Friday that payrolls increased 164,000 during the month, just 1,000 below the Dow Jones forecasts. And in 2018, the economy created an average of 223,000 jobs per month. Another remarkable performance. What type of jobs they are, we don't know. But good stuff. The question about South Africa was the Sassel story, which really doesn't look good. It's down at 3.05. It's threatening to break its big figure from 3 to 2. Yeah. Well, again, as I said, you know, they've got the problem in America. And <laughs> they had the most remarkable sentence uh, in their announcement 
And then if I get time to get there, I finally just got on. I now realize what I did wrong. I looked for BLS. No, I looked for BLS.com instead of BLS.gov. Mm-hmm. And I'm the one who always tells people, you have to remember it's Gov. It's a Friday <laughs> afternoon. Then, yeah. So, again, again, I'm just always go to table A1, employment status of the civilian population by sex and age. I think they should say by gender and age, but anyway. The participation rate in uh, July last year was 63.5%. In July 2019, it's 63.6%. So in terms of you know more and everything, uh, it, it sounds good, but the, that number has hardly changed. If we go down the unemployment numbers, and I always like to look not seasonally adjusted, then you will find that a year ago, the unemployment rate was 4.1. This is the total civilian population. This month, unadjusted, it's 4. And last month, it was 3.8. So, you know, there is a whole emphasis on seasonality here. And remember, Lindsay, we've got July in the United States. There are any number of new ice cream sellers and give it a month or so and we'll have crop pickers getting jobs, you know. So it's not always, you know, the number and the seasonally adjusted does tell a better story. So in uh, July 2018, the unemployment rate was 3.9 seasonally adjusted. It's now 3.7. So that's no major, major uh, change. And we've had a whole heap of Trumpism uh, to warn us all and say, Next year will not be the same as this. Uh, and, and honestly, I'll stick to that for as long as I can. Listen, stick to that as long as you can. And we'll speak on the occasion of the next U.S. Labor Department non-farm payrolls announcement and hopefully in between then. That's Liston Mainches. And Liston Mainches is an independent market and financial analyst. And you can get him at Liston at liston.co.za. That podcast was proudly brought to you in association with sharenet.co.za. To receive Liston's charts and other exclusive content, go to strictlybusinesspodcast.com, scroll to the bottom of the homepage and subscribe.